Hello and welcome back to Sex and Nomic. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. Do you want to say hello? Hello, thanks for that. That's very nice of you to call me special. Well, <laughs> everyone's special, which makes it not that special. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we have Sebastian with us today. You go by Seb, don't you, as well? Yeah, Seb's fine. Sebastian Wright. Sebastian Wright, yeah. Is your name a pseudoname as well? Because mine's a pseudoname. What? <laughs> well, you mean like it's a pseudonym? Yeah, so I have yes. my real... Yeah, I thought you meant like, I don't know why, I thought you meant pseudo-scientific. I don't know, that's a really stupid thought. But yeah, it is a pseudonym, yeah, yeah, it is. So you've got your Christian name and then, you know, your work name. Yeah, exactly. It was it was given to me, funny enough, by the, uh, I think it was by the Sun, the Glorious Sun newspaper. I'm not affiliated with them by any way. So, you know, in the early days when I first did um, my very first press, if you like, first interviews... Um, you know, kind of put a lot of them things off. Um, but I did this one. I don't know why I did it. <laughs> I still think I still ask that now. Get um, famous. <laughs> well, they wanted. To, they were, well, they wanted to change. No, absolutely not. That's that's the last thing I would want. Um, I'd be terrible at being famous. Um, yeah, they wanted to change my name to Jake. They wanted to change it to Jake Wright because when I actually started, I called myself Bastian, which is you know an abbreviation of Sebastian. And they said, oh, we want to make it more accessible for our, our, our audience. And I thought, well, don't change my name. So they, they, they wanted to go with Jake Wright. And I, and I said, well, I don't really want to do that because it's not the name that I've chosen. It makes no sense. You might as well just choose any old name and it's kind of pointless. Um, and which is basically what they were doing. And then they said, um, oh, how about we change Bastian to Sebastian? I said, well, that's fine because it's an abbreviation. So I w went with Sebastian Wright and actually thought it was actually a really good name. How do you articles like that work with the sun do they reach out to you you reach out to them then you agree on doing a media piece and it's more kind of an article that you help to run like what's the yeah well it was actually it's more uh, it's just basically an interview mm. um they contacted me following a similar channel to yourself i would imagine mm. um and then it's they i mean this is the thing back in those days you know i mean that must have been in the first two years i think that i was escorting it's not like selling a story where you get money for like oh no you know. no no it was nothing like that the narrative really was about trying to break down the stigma or trying to help people mm. and one i don't really think that was fully the narrative legacy media have the narrative they project to you mm. and their own unique narrative they want to yeah. sell papers with yeah that's what it was I, they described me in that newspaper as the boy next door and what else did they say in there? I remember when that came out, my best friend from uni rang me and he said, oh, I've just seen your article. And he was laughing. I was like, why are you laughing? And he goes, it's hilarious. He's like, they described you as, he's like, he's just an ordinary looking bloke or something like that. And I was just like, hang on. <laughs> That's not very good, is it? I want to feel special. <laughs> and then I just, I also thought the photos weren't very flattering. And one thing that I did that I, I you know, I would never do again is I looked at the comments and, you know, you can imagine the kind of comments from Sun readers. It was just, most of it was unintelligible. I couldn't even understand it. <laughs> most of what was being said. So that was funny. But obviously I was just like, oh, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, shouldn't have looked at those. But uh, nowadays I'm much more selective and much, much more selective about the kind of coverage kind of interviews that I do because it has to be really centered around trying to understand um, why women hire escorts for example or trying to understand why I do this and what I bring to it rather than it being trying to sell this really cool thing about this mysterious job and how cool it is to be an escort which is kind of I think what the the Sun article was really about trying to sell this this cool story about being an escort and you know it's, it's just not really really what it's about well 
it's either sensationalism or a hatchet job when yeah. it comes to yeah exactly anything to do with this world but of course on one hand all they know is what they see through other bits of media so like of course the films like american gigolo yeah or is it good luck to you leo bronte <laughs> leo grande leo, actually yeah. leo grande I, I would say interestingly that was the most accurate rendition of my experience as an escort it definitely felt more organic when i watched yeah, it i was quite happy yeah. with how they did that because he was very much client-centered he was smart he was you know it, it wasn't just this thing he turns up and she just has sex and they go and they, i mean that would make a dull movie if that's all that happened but you know he was kind of much more considerate and it was just more ex more of an expansive representation um, yeah. It wasn't perfect, but it was a pretty expansive representation, I think. Well, it's hard to depict escorting, I feel, because each experience with each customer is completely individual. So you can't really say this is the example in one film. Yeah, I think I guess my point mainly is it, it felt less like it was a cliche, mm. and not like stereotypes. You know, a friend of mine, she told me to watch it. Um, and I watched it before doing this interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... It's weird because then my other friends watched it and they were more attracted to that type of film than probably more traditional stuff that's been put out about escorts. Like, yeah, I fuck girls. Duh, duh. Like, yeah, you know I get I mean? paid to get laid shit. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, let's jump into it. Escorting. What's that like? Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's a massive question, isn't it? It's brilliant. I mean, that's one word for it. If I was to do like, if this was a movie and it was to be like all the the media companies on the back five stars brilliant fantastic <laughs> you know those words work um i think my experience of escorting has been incredibly enriching i think it's really helped me grow as a person and and, and as a man and you know as an individual i've learned a lot about women i've learned a lot about the world and i think that it's just been an incredibly fascinating experience what i've learned the experiences that i've had um and how broad those are, those experiences have been um, and how wonderful it's been to be someone that women have wanted to share their time with and also someone that they've wanted to share their experiences with and open up to me. So when did you start and how long have you been doing it for? I started, I've been doing it for eight years. So, you know, that's eight years ago. <laughs> um, what was life like for you before you jumped into this world? Well, I'm actually trained as a product designer. So that's what I went to uni to do. Um, so I've got a creative background. You know, I was always quite into drawing and a little bit into making things. And that was a bit of a natural path for me, really. Um, and I just kind of, I went from being in uni and working really, really hard and really enjoying what I was doing to graduating from uni. And gradually that motivation and that desire really slipped away. And part of that was the fact that I started working in sales jobs. The intention being, if I work for brands that I really want to work in the studio for and get my foot in the door, which is an easier way to do it, show them my portfolio, build a portfolio along the way, and then maybe get some work here and there and just kind of gradually build up build up my experience. Now, the issue with that was is I'm, I'm a people person, so I'm good with people. And I was gradually progressing up the sales ladder, finding that what was happening is I was getting less and less both time and desire to work on my portfolio on the side. And that just meant that that suffered. And I got to a point where I was like, oh, something's got to give, something's got to give. I just can't keep going on like this. And I was exploring various different apps at the time. I think Field was out. 
Uh, there's a thing called Fab Swingers that was the first one I was on. There's all these different things. So I considered doing this and it was a friend of mine who suggested it. And he was like, why don't you try that? You're kind of already out exploring these dating apps and casual dating and maybe it's something that you could be good at. So I gave it a go. <laughs> that was eight years ago. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back as they say. What was your sexual rhythm in your personal life like before you joined mm. escorting in terms of were you just an average guy who dated or were you hitting up the strip clubs going to swinging <laughs> parties and sex parties like what was the rhythm like well i suppose i was i was an average curious guy mm-hmm. so you know my obviously my curiosity isn't restricted to my creativity i was trying to explore what was out there and you know going on these kind of casual dates and exploring that world and you know some of the some of the women i was meeting with it was for the intention of potentially finding a relationship so to speak where we would build some trust and then we would have both have someone to go to parties with to explore sex parties so that was kind of one aspect of it and then I remember actually interestingly when I met my first couple because that was one of the earlier experiences that I had on those sites and I wasn't really that interested in doing that a friend of mine was like he was really keen for it and he like it was his idea not not his idea for me to do it, but it was something he was really interested in. I was kind of like not really bothered. But then an opportunity came up where somebody messaged me on Fab Swingers. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do this. And this could be interesting. And then I did it and it, it blew my mind. Like I thought it was amazing. How old were you at the time when you started doing it? So, oh, this is a maths question. It's a very simple maths question. but <laughs> Like early mind. 20s or... So uh, when I started doing that, so I'm 35 now, probably around, I would say around 22, 23, yeah, so early 20s. It's an interesting age because I always say with stripping, um, you could meet the most mature 18-year-old and she's fine, but the majority of people who just turn 18 aren't necessarily ready to do that full-time. Yeah. Uh, but with men, it's a bit of a different sexual paradigm. Mm. And... I don't know. Like, were you ready at the time? Did you feel like, oh, uh, maybe I started a bit too young or? You mean in terms of exploring the, let's call it the scene, for example? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, like escorting, actually. Oh, escorting. Yeah. That is a good question. Because when I, when I see guys on there now that are like 19, 20, I'm like, you know, like, mate, live a bit first. Were you <laughs> I mean, I was young. Obviously, 23 is young. Yeah, it is young. I'll rephrase it. Were you emotionally mature enough to start the escorting in your mind uh well it's not a question i thought of at the time and i think that i think it's one of those things when i'm given a challenge like when i was in you know that i always talk about as an example when i'm ever i've been made to do presentations at any job i remember at my last sales job the uh my my team manager he said to me he, he had that look on his face that was like oh you've got to do a presentation so to say oh you know it's not going to be easy but i was like there was something about that kind of situation that I to step perform. up to the plate. Yeah, mm. because I think it's an opportunity. And I, I, I'm a, I like to make people laugh and I use an opportunity to really kind of engage people. So I think it was kind of a similar thing where it's like, right, I'm going on this date. This person's hired me. Like it's a whole new experience. And I really wanted to give the best of myself, not in a way where I like really want to force it, but I saw it as a really good opportunity to kind of get to know someone, have a new experience. And it was also obviously new for me and it was an opportunity for me to learn about a completely different different world. And once you got into that world, how different was the reality from the expectation of what you knew before? 
That is the right question because the only thing I had to operate on, my Thank compass... Thank you, it makes me sound clever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is a good question because the only compass I had to operate on was the, the stereotypes. I didn't know any escorts. I never met any escorts. I never met anybody who hired an escort. You know, so I, I, you always think, well, everybody always says, oh, it's lonely women who can't get it anywhere else and all that, which is literally so far from the truth. And also the guys, you're like, well, I was thinking when I was going there, you know, I was I was dating a lot at the time and I, my success rate wasn't excellent. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So I think what had happened, I'd become a bit of a serial dater and I was caught in that cycle. I was caught in that cycle where it was, I'd have a bad date and then I'd be, it'd piss me off and they'd be like, right, I'm just going to give it a rest. But then I wouldn't give it a rest because I didn't want to end on a, I want to end on a high note because then it, it just, you just get stuck in that cycle and that's what was happening to me you know um well once you got there i mean men they are known for having a high sex drive were you like a kid in a candy store were you like is this real once i got where into the meat of escorting so you mean like when i met my first client yeah yeah i wasn't a kid in a candy store i think my curious brain was switched on i think okay and i think that's the thing you know i, I suppose a good answer to your question about being emotionally mature I think I'd kind of, growing up, I'd had to take accountability of myself. I mean, you know, I had, I had to step up to the plate in that way, in some sense. So when I got there, I think that I was, you know, I've certainly hoped that I've matured emotionally over the years, partly through my experiences and partly proactively self-developing myself. And I think the curiosity and desire to figure this out and, and what's going on, it, it creates an openness. It's, 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 you know, by nature, that's that's an openness trait and it's, it, it kind of gave me the opportunity to kind of really learn and I waffled a bit there. It's, it's <laughs> all right. It's fine. Um, so we'll call him Baby Seb at the time. Baby Seb, yeah. He meets his first client, yeah. second client or clients. It's not so much the horn that's bringing you into this thing. Yeah. It's more yeah. the psychological plates mm. turning in your brain saying, oh this is interesting i mm. need to know more about this yeah that's a, actually that's that's a good question as well because the comparison between it being the horn versus the i don't know the horn and the brain psychological <laughs> yeah psychological because a bit this always in, like blows people's minds i'm not someone who's super highly sexed like my sex drive isn't exactly flying high so i was going in there like you know not like oh, i really want to get laid it wasn't that kind of thing it was kind of a, with the curiosity to try and understand this person. What is their driver? Why are they hiring an escort? You know, what can I learn from this experience? And it was a fascinating experience. See, a stripper, a good stripper thinks of all of that kind of stuff before the lap dance, but they think of it from a point of view of how can I manipulate that to extract as much as possible money? Mm. Yeah. Because you're only in there for a short time, like what, an hour maybe tops? Yeah. But from speaking to you personally, it sounds more deeper on a level like you care about people yeah i do 100 percent, and that is an underpinning that has, has been a contributor to my success 100 mm. percent, because that's inspired my evolution mm. when you know like i talk about that first time why is this person hiring an escort what's her background what's her experience what is what is she really looking to kind of kind of gain um so that's kind of that's definitely an underpinning of, of what i do for sure the one thing from dating myself, even as someone who is in their mid-twenties, so technically by patriarchal standards at their peak, 
women are not often seen by men in terms of sexually. It's just like, okay, you've got boobs, a vagina, let's have sex. But men don't understand that the foreplay starts so much earlier and is taking an interest in what I'm saying, listening, active listening. And for men, it's such an immediate thing, but women, they're just built differently. It's a l- more success if you listen and take that time to really digest what that person wants. Yeah. And that's kind of, in some sense, the inherent nature of men versus women. You know, men are testosterone fueled, women are more emotionally oriented by nature, and that's obviously one of our, one of our natural characteristics for our evolution. Um, so yeah, it, it is it is trying to get to that point where it's people want men trying to understand that there's there's a whole process, um, however long that process and whatever that process looks like is going to be different for for different women, of course. Um, and there's a real beauty in recognizing that as a man, I think, because what actually it does is it presents you with an opportunity to realize, okay, what if I slow down? The way I describe it, right, is if orgasm theoretically is the destination and you take the opportunity to really look out the window, it's like, what can I see? What can I notice? And what can I experience? You can make that journey such an incredible, incredibly enriching experience. And that whole foreplay process can be either the whole thing you know it doesn't have to be something that leads to sex it could be the whole experience or it could be part of the experience but it's it's about being in the moment with that and really kind of it can be incredibly enriching well let's go into what does your job generally consist of what's on offer so imagine what a pie chart and what do you spend most of your time doing most of my time with your clients yeah most of my time with my clients proportionally i would say it is probably things like dates, um, some form of connection, something that's, you know, all of the stuff that's really important in terms of, I suppose you could call it a form of foreplay if it's going to contribute to to it leading to sex. So that's the, that's the sum of it. Um, I mean, because the way I work, and I know that some escorts work differently, and that's obviously fine. You know, if someone is to call me now and say, can you meet tonight or meet in two hours? That's just not how I operate there's normally building a bit of a rapport getting to know the client both because I want to ensure my own safety and they obviously understand them and what their needs are to make sure that I'm the right escort for them mm. um and it's just I just think that there's, there's something deeper to that experience than just a uh, uh, chuck and fuck or buck and fuck or whatever <laughs> whatever the saying is do you think the horn dogs are more responsive to like a cool girl or cool guy thing and then what you're doing is more emotional guy i, I would say yeah yeah i think that we're gonna know, call them horn dogs yeah so you are you talking as well about when you say horn dogs you're talking about male escorts as well are you talking about yeah but so yeah. like male escorts who are there like yeah i can make it in two hours let's do the dumb thing and yeah. stuff yeah and again i don't want to take anything away from the guys that want to do that because that's that's fully their choice and it is the and job yeah it doesn't necessarily mean they're horn dogs like there are there is an element of that but i think some of them just prefer to work that way they're just fully that's what they want to do and i think that that's probably the perception of how it works for the most part see it's interesting the way you've described it on developing such an emotional kind of a connection and establishing it mm that's absolutely what i try and avoid with people yeah because yeah, i don't yeah. want to get close like yeah in my job it's like you can look at me but you're never ever 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 gonna yeah. get near me yeah and it's so weird that you do the reverse of that yeah. and you're like let's open this thing 
up and yeah. look inside of it. But that, that obviously looks different for different women because I think mm. people can make the mistake that when you talk about making a connection, I think that as there is with many things related to sex and intimacy, there's a particular idea of what that means and what that looks like. Now, it's not the same as trying to form a connection like you would if you were looking to get in a relationship. But connections are broad and varied. You know, a fleeting connection that you have with someone you meet in one day can still be a beautiful connection that you, that you gain value from, but it's not going to manifest itself into a relationship. So that what I'm talking about is someone contacts me, let's get to know them a little bit. What's their background and how can I connect? Where's the area that I can connect with them on? Because they're going to want to enjoy my company. They're going to want to feel safe with me and all of these things that are really important rather than it's almost like, I've just come up with this analogy in my head to work with me here. <laughs> like we're standing opposite sides of the window. Now, for some people that works, we can try and communicate through there and it's whatever we see each other, we go, but open the window and have a conversation. It's, it's the equivalent of breaking that initial barrier down. You know, I'm not getting into their life and spending personal time with them. It's not that, um, but it's trying to find out what form of connection is right for them, and what's going to work for them and what they're, what they're really looking for. I like the window and I like it double glazed. Yeah, well, there you go, <laughs> double glazed. Yeah, and maybe black it out sometimes, depending on the client. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, what are the ages you see? That is also a question that is broad and varied, yeah. Give me a good depiction of, you know, your roster of clients you've dealt <laughs> roster. with. I like the idea of having a roster. I have to look through the roster and see what your archive. <laughs> my archive. Yeah. I've got a library of all st all the stories. I probably have got a library of stories by now, to be fair. But what's the oldest versus youngest? So the oldest, um, I think the oldest was sixty nine. That was a platonic arrangement where I met with someone who was travelling to around Europe. It was originally the UK, but then it became Europe. Uh, and the youngest, I would say, is probably twenty. 20. which surprises people because that is obviously a massive if i was to add add, add them all up and create a you know a proper average uh, that would be probably 40s to mid 40s i would say with the girl who was 20 or the ones you've had in their 20s obviously in the sexual marketplace like mm. they're not gonna struggle and i don't really like using that word sexual marketplace yeah but what was the drive to go and see an escort for that person, do you think? So this is actually what's interesting and one of the things that partly fuels or, or has inspired the evolution into my coaching work. Because what can happen if, if, for example, it's somebody who's 20, one example might be they've grown up in a religious family. By the time they've got to 20, they've rejected it. Part of that upbringing has meant that they haven't explored their sexuality. They have no relationship with sex that's particularly positive and their explicit intention is okay i've got some sexual shame around this i want to address it i don't have any experience i don't want to go out in the dating scene because when they've tried in some examples as soon as somebody knows that they're inexperienced the tact changes um and they want to build their confidence and self-awareness before they they consider the prospect of maybe getting into a relationship at a later date and it's not necessarily they're going to see the outcome of what's going to happen ahead but i know going into like a dating pool um some guys are going to be after one thing and some guys are going to have a preconception if i'm not that's actually experienced so it's better in that mind to go with someone who is going to take their time and knows about these kind of things exactly um 
This is one of the things as well, when people consider something like escorting as being an invalid service or not valuable or all this kind of rubbish. Oldest profession in the book. Well, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So it's also the fact that I think that's one of the questions why wouldn't they just go on a date and meet someone else that can give them that it's like well there's a lot of things that they need from the experience Mm. and they want to make sure they get those things it's like you know if you want a plasterer (laughs) i always use building analogies with these things because i think they're quite relevant it's like you could ask a friend of a friend who you might do a good job or you can go on a site where you've got reviews he's professional you know he's qualified all this kind of stuff um, and you just say, well, I'm just going to go with that. I just feel feel better doing that. I feel like I'm going to get what I'm looking for if, if, I, if I do it this way. Well, as a male escort, how much of your time is just purely escorting, going on dates, you know, creating that nice environment for people to enjoy themselves? And then how many would you have an intimate sexual experience with? Because people would be surprised, especially the listeners, to know that escorts don't necessarily fuck mm. <laughs> their clients all the time it's more yeah. about that interaction well this is why i think it's important to draw i think escort and prostitute is often used synonymously yeah and there is a distinction so at least in my understanding and my perception of it mm. the way that i use that language is that a prostitute is somebody who's paid for sex which is perfectly fine that's me separating myself from that is not saying there's a problem with that that's fine. An escort is someone who's paid for their time that can involve sexual services. Mm. And the reason it's important to draw that distinction is because, like I say, I, I've been traveling with women before and it's been strictly platonic. They just, they're coming from abroad. They've never been to the UK. They want someone that they can trust that's going to be a travel companion, travel guide or whatever it might be that they can travel and have a good time with and no sex is involved. So you can't say that they're the same thing because they're clearly not the same thing. Though I would say to your question about how much of it does involve intimacy, um, if we're talking intimacy in terms of sex specifically, I would say probably three quarters, maybe 80%. Most of it does. Yeah, absolutely. I would have guessed probably around about that percentage. Yeah. It's interesting though, the word prostitute. In one of the episodes, I spoke to a lady who works at the Phoebe, who works, shout out to you. who works at the Prostitution Information Center, and she made a really good point in the word prostitute actually is so, like, quite a vast thing mm. in terms of someone who sleeps with someone for a promotion, technically prostitute. Yeah, you mean yeah. if it's non-financial? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're using sex as a leverage to catapult you into something above where you already are, yeah, it technically is that. And yeah. it's weird that we criticize people who do it out with their chests out Mm. versus um a gold digger versus someone who sleeps for a promotion yeah versus you know really religious guy who probably does it in secret and is the consumer yeah and we never demonize the for example even in porn we never demonize the consumer we always demonize the people who do it yeah and a lot of the people doing that this is the the funny thing isn't it when I've seen numerous talks, conversations and seminars and whatnot online about sex and intimacy and I quite enjoy attending and and viewing those things. And some of the conversations I've seen between, um, you know, YouTubers and sex workers, um, it's quite quite interesting how it's 
The AdSense is going to go as well on YouTube. Huh? <laughs> the AdSense, so like the money, monetization. Yeah. Unless you have a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, you were saying. Yeah, so my point was going to be like how some of them are so vehemently against sex work. And when I see those things, I always have that question in my head. It's like, do you watch porn? Do you consume any porn in any way, shape or form? Is there anything related to sex outside of your relationship? All of this kind of stuff. Because that's the thing, people always view it as being different. Like they want to judge sex workers, um, but don't consider porn actors to be sex workers. And the irony of it is, is that when you consider the difference between the two, one of these people is meeting consensually with somebody else to have sex in private. The other person is presumably for the most part, let's assume, you know, without getting too much into the politics of the, uh, the ethical side of porn, um, somebody's being paid uh, is in a contract to have sex with someone on camera for lots of people to view again perfectly fine but it's ironic that they're they're not happy with somebody doing what they want in private like that's weird it's weird isn't it do you know what i mean i think a lot of it is which i understand more conservative people they don't like the brashness like i like to think with this podcast it's something you would go looking for mm. if you were interested in it yeah i think some people don't like things plastered in their face yeah for example yeah. i don't like That's fair enough. i don't like religion plastered in my face yeah I, I don't like dogma if i was to have children i would definitely not send them to a religious school yeah um, not to say that they could become religious but and find that organically but i don't want it in that and i get it like a red light district should not be plastered everywhere yeah that's why it's a red light district because it's yeah. a place where you can go yeah so i understand that on one end but also there's people who are just hypocritical man yeah you know yeah um yeah just really hypocritical for example we get like women who come into a strip club and they're not really happy but they're just doing it because they want to be down for the ride with the guy they're with and you can just feel the judgment and the questions they ask and you know those kinds of things but yeah it's just really hypocritical i waffled them so no no but <laughs> I, do, I do get what you mean and it, and it's interesting because i mean you know if you're hosting an interview like you are you can do it however you want obviously yeah uh, if you're hosting a conversation you know but i just think that sometimes i see these conversations and i think there's a missed opportunity to learn about someone there and I think that what I've perceived through my experience of, of these webinars and these seminars, et cetera, and these talks is that what happens is it's kind of when it comes to these hot button topics like sex work, people switch. Hot topics. Yeah, yeah, the, the hot topics, <laughs> the topic <laughs> of the moment. Um, but, you know, contentious subjects, I suppose you could say. Um, it's interesting how people that have a real, like, emotional reaction and it's their emotion that drives their thinking because you see, I literally see people that I would say, well, this person's quite intelligent. I've seen them have, have a conversation about this thing, about this thing. And then when they talk about this thing, it's like if I saw them in that conversation before I'd seen the others, I might think that they're a little bit stupid. Because everything they're saying is presumptuous. They have no reason to believe what they believe. It's presumptuous. It's based on an emotional response to the person they're talking to rather than saying, okay, I have these preconceptions. I'm here to learn from you. There's not enough intention to learn in some of these conversations. And I think the broader the broader atmosphere in, in regards to many of these difficult subjects, there's there's not enough intention to want to learn from people. Well, I think it's also this idea of people like you and I, we're taking away from this traditionalism, mm. you know, um, you're leading women astray and making them step outside of their marriage. And I'm like seducing a man to kind of 
away from you know a life of virtue or whatever tribe you want to shrug down my throat i think these people genuinely are either sexually depressed Mm. i've not had access to it or they're just really inadequately bad in bed they could be but i also think it's it's a gross uneducated yeah absolutely that i think it's more that because yes some of it's gonna be driven by the fact that they've got a particular code of ethics and that's obviously fine their moral compass if they're religious for example of course they're going to have a particular reaction to sex work um but i think that it's a lack of understanding and and it's kind of like pointing your your proverbial arrow at at the wrong thing it's like you want to gun down women for example who hire escorts or you want to gun down escorts or whatever it's like why don't you try and understand what is the what's the story there why why is this happening like why are they if we talk about the situation that they want to save space they want to develop skills around boundaries some of these things as well and a lot of these experiences that have led women to me has been a past of negative experiences with men so it's like if in theory we've decided okay our mission is to end sex work well the way to do it is to deal with the problems at at the start it's like deal with that it's never gonna happen as well well exactly it isn't of course it's not yeah let's try and get drugs as well it's like if if you have a problem with uh, a solution to a problem you need to find a better solution that's what you need to do well we need decriminalization well that's 100% what we need yeah Yeah. 100% I mean it kind of is here in a way because it's I mean there's certain rules around it's elusive yeah Yeah. you're not supposed to I think that one of the main things you can't solicit in public but again this is for their own safety they hang around in groups or they might um, they might work in brothels and that's illegal. So again, it's another one of those things where the stigma is largely impacting women. Yeah, with brothels, probably different topic for a different podcast, but that's like a model that needs to be rejigged, I think, certainly. Mm. But of all your kind of escorting and clients, what is your most rewarding experience that you've had with an individual? And then I'm going to ask you, mm. what's your most, oh my God, holy fuck moment. Yeah. I didn't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you one that happened recently actually in terms of, so this is actually related to, are we talking about my coaching as well? Or are we just focusing we'll, on? We'll go into the coaching. Okay, we'll yeah, yeah. Okay, then I'll have to think about the escort because I have one in my head for the coaching. Well, you so, can say it. Okay, so the one of the most rewarding experiences I would say is, is one that I had with um one of my coaching clients where intimacy coaching yeah my so you know under my brand pleasure map I also work as an intimacy and sexuality coach so with that that's helping women the way I describe it is they're reconnecting with their sexuality they're reconnecting with their body and, and they're developing a healthy relationship with both of those things um and you know one of the women that I've been working with has had a real difficult time with her body because she's had some surgeries on her body that's made it difficult for her to experience pleasure and you know she's got a variety of different challenges related to her anatomy um and one of the things that really really makes it difficult is the way that she's been spoken to by medical professionals like the gaslighting that takes place being told oh you'll never be normal like you know again it's not to say that these comments are in any way shape or form intent intentional in terms of trying to make her feel bad of course they're not i'm not suggesting that so you're like this is a person's whole life you're talking about and you can't just say things like that it's just throwaway comments oh you'll never be normal or you shouldn't do this you know even when she's spoken about how she experiences sex and she shares she's very open with these things with her doctors because that's great of course that's a great thing to do um just being shut down about no you shouldn't do that no i wouldn't no you shouldn't really do that sort of thing so it's not your business well just because you know 
there's a lot of stigma around things like anal sex. So with this particular person, you know, one of the things is that that's the only way she's been able to experience pleasure while she's on her healing journey. Perfectly valid. Absolutely perfectly valid. Um, but being gaslit by doctors, they're just like, no, you shouldn't do that. Just just in a way, like she gets told off. No, you shouldn't do that sort of thing. Yeah, without it's uh, just like, <laughs> giving medical reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and other things related to her experience where, you know, the surgeries that she has, it, it's, it's, it's another case of, it's a very insensitive approach in the sense that she'll get a letter coming through saying, oh, you're, you've got another surgery coming up. So I didn't even know I had a surgery. I had no idea I was having another surgery and just getting told you're having a surgery because what happens is that's really disempowering because it's like she has no control over what happens to her body. And that's been her whole experience. Yeah. So anyway, without going into too much more into that, the point is, is that she's really come along on her journey and she's really, really started to regain control over her body, over her sexuality. She's got really expansive um for want of a better term repertoire of <laughs> sexual skills and sexual awareness and sex education that she's developed the sex cv the sex cvs <laughs> yes it's it's it's, more, it's hard to get it on two pages it's like <laughs> they always say keep it two pages don't they the sex cv later no, not the sex cv they don't but later in the podcast we're gonna go into our sexual cv oh right, okay. Okay. <laughs> Bloody hell. okay that's gonna be interesting um and uh you know she, she sent me a little card at christmas and uh it was it was very nice. It was just a very just just a gratitude card, like a thank you card, and it, it was great because I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this coaching work, one of the exciting things is, it's not it's never clear what the journey is going to look like. You know, you kind of figure out what what needs to be done and you get an idea of the process, but you never know what the journey is really going to be like and how it's going to unfold and how somebody's going to kind of grow and evolve. So when you kind of, you go from the beginning and, and you kind of, you're, you're on that journey and there's those incremental changes, then when you get to the end and you, and you can look back with them and you, and you see how much they've grown, it's, it's just incredible. Like, it's just incredible. Especially when you meet someone who's, they feel like they have no idea what they're going to do. They don't know how to start. They don't feel confident it's going to, anything's going to happen because their experience has been that, that trying to deal with these problems as, 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 as um, has not resulted in in anything and so to when to to be with them on on that journey and get to that point where they can look back and be like yeah i've actually i've grown a lot and i feel so much better and more confident that is that's there's literally nothing better than that and just a safe place to workshop a problem mm. you know um i think that in your intimacy coaching is probably a massive appeal to people shout out to the therapists we love you and there's probably a lot of really good technical sexual therapists who are very well versed well educated clinically and practiced but someone like yourself the hours you must have raked up by the escorting of meeting people interacting understanding decoding that human interaction of desire lust rejection fear mm. you can integrate that without even going into a sexual service now with your intimacy coaching, mm. you can say, well, I've seen X amount of people and I know the outcome of this is because of that. Mm. And that's such a powerful thing. And again, like we said, with a sexual CV, you know, people would never take it seriously unless you and I were looking at each other right now and we know what that means, you know? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, well, one thing that I've, want to do is to also draw the distinction between the escorting and the coaching because they are different there's crossovers but there are they are different so the way i describe it really is as an escort i'm providing a service or i'm I'm providing i'm curating an experience 
So that can be going on holiday, for example, dinner could in include intimacy, um, but it's about an experience. Whereas the coaching, really what it's about, is about personal development, skills development, overcoming a barrier to that's, that's preventing them from having the sex life that they want. Um, so there's crossover. I always say there's crossover in terms of it's all rooted in consent. Um, it's all about helping the client um, fulfill their own own needs. It's always client-centered. Um, so those things are obviously really, really important. People listening to this podcast will want to know who are these women? Uh, what did they look like? Because there's always this curiosity <laughs> about who the consumer is. And yeah. you said an age bracket there of kind of, you know, your 40, 50s on a mean average mm. is what it would be. But what are the key drivers of why a woman would go and see a male escort, if you can say it in its most succinct way? Yeah. Yeah. So again, so if we're talking about the escorting, as I describe it, as being mm. about an experience. So there's two, I guess you could say there's two ways that could be. It could be that you want to meet with someone that you can build trust with, someone who's going to understand and um, respect your boundaries, someone who's going to create a safe space, someone they're going to feel comfortable with. Um, and the, with the intention of that involving sex and intimacy, um, yeah, obviously the same with traveling, you're going to want someone who's going to take care of everything someone who's going to be just really on the ball with that with with all that stuff um so they're lacking in their whether it's the relationship they already have or mm. what they've had that's lacking no this is an interesting question because this is also one of the misconceptions it's not a lack it's not their relationship that's lacking it's not their dating life that's necessarily lacking it's the dating scene itself sometimes so if it's like, well, I don't want to go on a date. I don't want to go on a date with someone off these bloody apps because they're a nightmare and I'm done with them. They're Literally, all horn they dogs. Well, they might message me and start with that. I'm so sick of these dating apps. They're full of shit. And I'm not saying it's always like that, but that's been, a, you know, some of the experiences. So, so I just want to go somewhere. I'm gonna I say what I want, get my, you know, get my needs met. Or, or also the thing that's also worth remembering is that obviously it's not always about sex so it might be a case of i literally want to go on a date and not have sex that's what i want i don't want to sit on a date and have to worry about what the man's thinking i don't want to worry about that because we have a discussion this is our agreement and i trust that you're going to stick to our agreement great and what can men do more to make women happier in intimacy in the bedroom then well listening is one of the greatest skills that you will ever have active listening trying to understand people unless from, you're deaf unless you're deaf looking lip active read. looking <laughs> 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 look with intent um and just trying to really understand and, and and i think do you know what one of the greatest skills that you can develop and this is always an ongoing process my own process of this is i think i mentioned to you before that one of the books i'm reading at the moment is um atomic habits so i'm always trying to self-develop and trying to deepen that deepen those skills and i think that you know, I've developed a good emotional intelligence over the years. And I think that's been really, really, really great because it helps you have an awareness of how you're reacting to particular situations. So when something is coming up and I watch something or I read something and it has an emotional reaction inside of me, you can bring awareness to that. So what is it that, 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 this, that this is related to? So developing a deeper emotional awareness is one of the skills I would say is really important to enhance your connections, whether that's in a relationship or anywhere. Um, definitely deepen your listening skills become a really really good listener and really take on board what people are saying to you and be empathetic empathy is one of the greatest skills you can have because it's easy to listen to someone else's story and there's a lot of stuff we hear in the media that we can say is just bullshit 
it's easy to listen to other people's stories and straight away think, oh, this is rubbish. I've heard this before. But trying to understand why that person has come to a particular conclusion, for example. And empathy does not mean necessarily you agree with something. Yeah. Oh, empathy is not empathy is not agreeability in any way, shape or form. It's of course you can agree with someone, but empathy is about to some extent, you know, if you come to me and, and you've you have an experience because you've been offended in some way about something me looking at that situation and thinking well i think that that's an overreaction it's it's not me just saying oh you're overreacting blah 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 it's me saying well i don't understand i wouldn't necessarily feel that way mm. but i understand why you would feel that way and it's, it's about trying to come at things from a different perspective that isn't just rooted in your own your own perception and if we solve what you're saying there of kind of empathy and listening this stops a lot of projection because we, ta- yeah. we take our baggage and we project it onto the next willing victim in our relationships and say, yeah, hundred well, percent. You've, you've done this and I have a history of this. So it must mean that you're going to do this. And yeah, I'm in a relationship. I'm so once someone does something wrong and I think it is right sometimes to bin people off as soon as they cross your boundaries, mm. but I'm just always looking for a way out. I'm just mm. always looking for that kind of, thing to write them off with and go like yeah you know well that's obviously rooted in your experience baggage yeah exactly and and part of that's going to be unconscious bias so your unconscious bias being you know when and something safety yeah well that's exactly it but that's why you have that particular unconscious bias i think because your brain's telling you the safest thing is to react this way because my experience has told me that this is how it works and this is the way that it leads mm-hmm. so that's what that unconscious bias is doing i think it's protecting you so it's, it's partly that um but it's better to be safe than sorry. So. 100%. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. But you also have to put yourself out there in order to get something. It's like yeah. risk versus reward. Yeah. You know, you have to go on these dates and have the car crashes to yeah. find something that might be good for you. Yeah. You know? it, it's, it's just that situation of, of, again, having that self-awareness to say, okay, I have an emotional reaction to this. Like you might see something that annoys you could be anything because you've seen something similar or or there's been a similar experience that just annoys you it's having that awareness where it's like right okay it's okay to feel like that but if i'm going to engage in any way and this is something i think people should learn with social media when you see things on social media that trigger you ask yourself okay if i'm going to engage in 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 any way i need to really think about what's happening here is my reaction emotional is it logical why am i reacting the way that i'm reacting and you know these kinds of self-awareness skills are things that are going to inherently increase your connections including in your relationship so if someone's getting annoyed because something's happened it's like okay where has this come from what 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 is the root of this and you know approach with empathy rather than just being oh you're being ridiculous you're overthinking it blah 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 have a conversation why does this person feel like this yeah starting from that place and i think everybody's guilty of it right i'm guilty of it too when i get frustrated i'm not saying that i'm some sort of superhuman this work is ongoing for me um but it's like sometimes we start up here in in the defense mode when it's like, let's start down here. My partner, my friend or whatever is frustrated. Let's l- give them the air and the space to kind of talk talk about this and try and understand where they're coming from rather than just being, oh, you're just being fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. And then just because that doesn't help connection at all. That doesn't help at all. That does the exact opposite. Yeah, literally. Well, we're going to have a break now. And then after the break, we're going to get into some more personal stuff. So. Okay, okay. Tune in after the break.
had someone call me daddy once. Really? Were they older or were they younger? <laughs> younger. In okay. Early twenties. Okay. I like. I didn't expect it was going to happen. I mean, it's not exactly the most un, like outlandish taboo thing, but when it starts happening during sex, and you're thinking, that's. I don't know if I, what I think about that. I know, I know, I do know what I think about it. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Did you feel like a daddy? No, I didn't. No. Was that a kink? I, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> what are some weirdest kinks you've come across, like from clients? From clients, like um, niche, not weird, because no kink is weird yeah. unless it's illegal. There's some niche. There's niche ones. I mean, I've done, you know, a, a decent share of of bondage which is you know that's not really shibari niche. shibari i like a bit of that i quite like the artistry i'm not i'm not exactly an expert in that by any stretch of the imagination but uh, you know, I've, I've been asked a number of weird, weird things that i've not done the weirdest one and i talked about this this before on my first podcast um the weirdest one that i probably have been asked is i remember being in uh, some sort of supermarket and i got a text message from someone saying oh you know i want to meet up with you and you're just going to feed me. I'll pay you to feed me. And I'm thinking, what a great gig. <laughs> like, I just got to feed someone, honestly. That's just like the best thing in the world. But, you know, it was a scat fetish, basically. What's a scat? It's that invades false feces. So I basically poop in her mouth. Oh, okay. And the thing that I find funny about this story... So, again, let her down gently. That, sorry, that's not my sort of thing. Um, you know, all the best with your search. Um, is that she then said... Um, okay, how about a foot massage? <laughs> and the thing that I find funny about it is, why not start with the foot massage and see where your edges are and work work your way yeah. up? Don't go, would you like to shit in my mouth? No. Well, how about a foot massage then? Because I'm obviously not, then not going to go, yeah, okay, you've, you've, you've charmed me. That woman doesn't know how to manipulate. No, no. manipulate or how to woo. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't doing a very good job of wooing me. The feces thing is popular. I know of a stripper who did a shit on a man's chest for the three grand. Yeah, I'd do that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably do that. <laughs> wow, your audio bar just went up. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, one of my erratic laughs. <laughs> no. You can turn that down though, right? No, because no, I need to hear. <laughs> okay. So let's get more into the personal. Okay, let's deep dive. Have you had a relationship whilst you're doing this job? No, I haven't had a relationship while I'm doing this job. I think all of my needs in, in various aspects of my life are so fulfilled. It's met. kind of, yeah, yeah, met. Um, I get my different needs met in different areas in different ways. Mm. Um, and I just don't have a particular desire for a relationship. And I think that I've always been like that. I've never been someone, I, I think that all of us could probably think of friends that are always in a relationship. Mm. So when the relationship ends, they're like, okay, I want to get a girlfriend, I want to get a boyfriend and they're onto the next thing and that's fine for them. I've never been like that. I've never pursued it. I've never thought, like, oh, I really want to get a girlfriend. It's just, it's just not how I think. Does it appeal to you, like the kids, family, Labrador, mortgage? No, no, no. no. Um, I've had a vasectomy anyway, so there's no kid. It's probably good for your manufacturing. Job. <laughs> yeah, what it's called making. Um, yeah, but I mean, again, it was, it was, it wasn't a job-related thing. It was a, a life-related thing. I just took this commitment I made to myself. That's that's what I want. I thought about it. And, you know, no looking back. It's just, you know, I'm not interested in having children and never have been. You don't want to milf someone up. I do it, but not if there's kids involved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't count. Yeah, if you're not creating the life, then it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. um, do your family know what you do? Yep. 
how did that go down? How what like what's the story there? That went down pretty well, I'd say. Um, did so, it have suspicions? No, I mean there's no suspicions at all. So I, I you know, the way that I told my mum and dad was quite interesting. So the interesting thing with my mum was when I told her, I said, "Oh, I'm an escort," and she grimaced like her face. <laughs> she kind of was like, Arr! you know. And I was like, "Okay, I wanted you to be a lawyer." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, right." So I said to her, "Okay, what do you think that means?" Just to give uh, again, in, in a way, it's kind of the empathy thing, isn't it? It's like let me get her perspective and where she's coming from, and she she explained what it was, and like you know, you just pay get paid to have sex with people and I was like well no it's it's not that it's much more than that and I explained it and how it works and you know why women hire escorts I think it's always important actually when I talk about talk about this work to talk about the reason that that as we have done why women hire escorts because that's really what it's all about that's it's, it's the client first situation and she was understanding um and from that point every now and again she would say oh how are you doing like have you got any work coming up are you traveling anywhere you know not really asking for explicit details but she was genuinely interested with my dad my dad's situation was that for a long time i didn't have a good relationship with him like it we, we just kind of we were just at each other's throats we clashed a lot so when i moved out of his place it was just it was it, the relationship was kind of it was damaged um and actually what happened to help me address that relationship was so one of my uh, side side shoots, one of my side interests in my personal life is psychedelic therapy and um, psychedelic research. So I've got quite an interest in that. And I had, had a psychedelic experience. I did magic mushrooms. And what actually happened on that experience was it brought to the foreground the fact that I'm not happy with the relationship I have with my dad. Now, that probably sounds like, well, I already knew that. But actually what was happening was because I didn't get on with my dad, I didn't see any value in it. I was like, oh, whatever, just that, leave that to, to be what it is. I didn't really see any value in it's addressing done. it. Yeah, yeah, whatever, it's just, I can't be bothered with it. But it actually made me, it came to the fore, fore and made me, made me realize I'm not happy with it being like that, actually. That's not the way it should be. So I approached him and addressed him and, and when chatting to him and, and dealing with that situation and having that open conversation, part of that was telling him about my experimentation with psychedelics and my interest in psychedelic therapy and, and that work and, also the fact that I escort and he was Just very slip open. It in. Yeah. Not like a, a dad, like, by the way, yeah. I do magic mushrooms. Yeah. And escort. <laughs> yeah. One of the great things about doing magic mu mushrooms and escorting is that, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so he was very open. And, and I think that one of the things was, is that, you know, as I've matured emotionally, I, I guess you could say one of the things I came to establish, well, actually the thing with my dad was, is our issues, it's it, whatever it is it's not bad enough to not have a relationship those little things us clashing he's flawed i'm flawed it's not enough for us to not have a good relationship yeah and actually in having that conversation there not only was that an opportunity to open up but I, it made me realize all he really wants from me is to connect with me that's all he really wants that's what's been lacking there and he's he's got his own guard up he's got his own barrier up he's got his own defenses and again as i as i've kind of learned more about him and learned more about the work i do and the, and from the people that i meet some of that's rooted in his own trauma the way he reacts the way he would get angry really easily that's rooted in his own trauma i think a really interesting thing an exercise for a lot of people to do is if you don't particularly get on with well with your parent or a parent or someone of that kind and then you look at the grandparent you're going to get the lovey-dovey version of the grandparent usually because grandparents mm. love their grandkids mm. 
but try and understand who that grandparent slash parent mm. was to your parent. Yeah, trying to understand. And you'll see similarities very quick. Yeah, it's, 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 and again, having that openness of being like, okay, what's the, it's not to say anybody, if your parents are really mean on you and harsh, that you should just be so empathetic that you just disregard the impact that it has on you. It's not about doing that. But being an, as, as an adult now and having the agency over my own life, I'm able to look from the outside in and say, okay, my dad had trauma. I know he did. He was bullied when he was younger. He felt insufficient. He felt insecure. These things manifested in the way he behaved. They impacted me. Um, so things like that. The same with my with my mum. You know, I, I had a bit of a mixed relationship with her. Didn't fall out, but she wasn't particularly... And my nan said this to me once. I never thought about it. She said, oh, when you were growing up, your mum wasn't particularly like physically affectionate and it wasn't a criticism it was an observation and i realized actually that's so true I, we didn't really ever cuddle and i came to establish what i th i think that that's related to her own trauma her own history of child abuse and, mm. and being abused as a child and how that's, that's that's impacted her and how she connects with people and um i think that what's really important about doing that is is it helps you move towards a place where you're like this isn't about me this disconnect isn't yeah, about it's me like it's not even about them do you know what i mean like us not connecting, it's not because there's anything wrong with either of us. <laughs> our own shit's getting in our way, you but know? But as a child, you're always going to take it as a huge thing. 100%. I mean, even even if I was to go so far and have the bold, the boldness to have the empathy for my stepdad, who was cruel to me, he wasn't physically abusive, but... And at the time, it didn't have a name. I remember watching the TV at my mum's house when I was older, and they were doing this piece on um, a, a dispatches thing or something like that. And they were talking about... Love that, dispatches. Well, it was something like they were talking about emotional child abuse. And I was like, holy shit, that is the thing that happened to me. That's what I, that's the experience that I had, the gaslighting and, and all of this kind. Even gaslighting, it wasn't until probably within the last three years I even knew what the hell gaslighting was. I'd never yeah, heard of it. a hot word at the moment. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I got, into, I was made to feel small. He was intimidating. He was like really mean to me. He was like really cold to me said things and acted around me in certain ways it just made me feel like really insecure and insufficient and then like then you start questioning yourself because of his behavior and like maybe it's just me maybe this is how he is maybe it's a stepdad thing stepdad's like supposed to be like that or maybe dads are supposed to be like and then it makes it hard to talk about because you just start internalizing it but when you're young you don't have the emotional tool belt to deal no with you, that. Don't. you don't so when you have your own space when you're older and this is why i advise people to like get on with their lives and create the lives they want yeah is because you have that safe space of your own home to go and retrieve it and, and yeah. stuff i um, think it's one of the most uh, this is actually one of the things that i've done over the years and one of the things as i say is an ongoing process that yeah. kind of self-reflection and one of the things i'm actually working on at the moment for myself is, is the thing called shadow work so shadow work i don't know if you've if you've heard of that but that that's this idea that we all have these shadow parts of ourselves that we hide and we repress it could be something, an example could be something like you, you used to like dancing as a child, but you were made to feel like you were an idiot when you danced or, you know, just as an, uh, you're rolling, you're turning your eyes. As, uh, maybe that doesn't directly relate to you, but as no. a, you know, as a random example, it could be that <laughs> you're worried about how you present in front of people. You're worried about being embarrassing yourself. The point is, is that that's linked to something. So you create this part of yourself that you hide away because then that way you're protecting yourself so the, the point is is the purpose of shadow work is it's addressing those points and bringing them up 
Now, one of the things that I can actually be open about that I do... I don't have any of those. Yeah, I, if you if you really dug deep... Well, I mean, I'm probably not explaining shadow work to the best of its ability. There's lots of things you don't think about. They I could have be, kinks, maybe, I wouldn't say. They could be the shadow things. It's also important to establish the shadow isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not saying that it's a dark part of you. It's the things that you kind of have hidden away that you don't necessarily address. The only thing I feel very shame, like I, I just get embarrassed. I get embarrassed yeah. when I don't look intelligent. So I'm dyslexic. So whenever a opportunity comes where I'm just not going to read as quickly as someone or mm. whatever, or I say something a bit blonde or whatever, yeah. and I feel stupid, I feel that's the end of the world. Mm. So maybe just the ability to just try something, maybe. So th this book I read recently is called um, A Little Book on the Shadow. Yeah. Um, by a guy called Robert Bly. Yeah. And he talks, the way he uh, yeah, an analogizes this is he talks about it as being like a um, the bags we drag behind us. So we've got these massive bags where all of our shadow parts are. Yeah. And even though they're behind us and they're like shadows and we kind of try to ignore them, they impact us because they weigh us down. Mm. So shadow work is about looking at those parts of us that hold us back and saying, this is an aspect of my life that you might not acknowledge. Like if you're an avoider, you avoid situations because you're like, oh, that's difficult. It's like the shadow work gives you an opportunity to say, what is it that makes me avoid doing that when it would benefit me to do that? So you can address it. You bring it to the fore and you, you can address it. I'm gelling with what you're saying, but it also reminds me of exposure therapy a little bit or like right. it could lead to that way. Cause I mm. believe that if there's obviously some things that traumatize people and they should mm. never really go back to it because it's not a good yeah. thing. Yeah. But that idea of confronting things. Yeah. So yeah, for obvious things like swimming in deep water, mm. you know, maybe swim in a deep side of a swimming pool and expose yourself so you're less scared of that kind of thing yeah um but maybe for me like if it's a fear of you know people thinking i'm stupid or an idiot maybe i just say something and not give a shit and that's like a form of exposure therapy yeah i guess so i suppose i mean i don't know a great deal about exposure therapy and again the shadow works new to me so i probably didn't articulate it in the best possible way so um you know an, an opportunity for you to look it up in, in more depth but I suppose that if I was to compare them, maybe exposure therapy is like, like you say, the deep end aspect. That's kind of an a good a good metaphor as well. It's like jumping in at the deep end, whereas the shadow work is like saying, okay, you've got your trauma. You don't need to kind of dive straight into that and have that potentially really intense experience. It's like saying, what are the aspects that have accumulated and how does it impact your life? If you've been made to feel small and inadequate and you don't feel like you're good enough, like that perhaps is an aspect of yourself that means that you avoid doing situations where you can grow. Well, a big one for women, I think, is not like a fear or maybe you wouldn't describe it as a shadow, is body image. Mm. And women are all different shapes and sizes just as men are. We're all different and unique. But as a woman, I can speak that a lot of women have insecurities about their body. I'm sure you know that doing the work you mm. do. But for me it's just like but that could be just cut that parachute and just don't carry the weight around yeah and that's no a good way intended. to go <laughs> that, but that's a, that's a good way to go but again it almost it's like back to the atomic habit situation where for some people it's about doing things incrementally yeah because just being like i'm just gonna cut the parachute cord and it's gonna be fine like some people that's too heavy i, I am too that intense yeah I, I am that woman it's admirable if you can do that um it takes me a while yeah it's like that song, I'm off the deep end, watch yeah. your side. <laughs> yeah, and the, the thing is, I think the interesting thing is, I think what's interesting about that is that 
whilst that's admirable and you can do it, most people can't. But I think that's most people's perception of how it works. Like you have to just do this. You have to just, people don't understand that it's like, well, you don't have to do that. You can kind of build things up bit by bit. And Are you incremental or parachuter? I, again, I liked the idea of being a parachuter, but this is the, the, the thing about the difference between the, we talked about the goal versus the systems focusing on the process rather than focusing on the goal. Because what you do is you build a process that's healthy, that's going to help you get to the goal rather than saying, I want to get here. I want to get here and really focusing on that goal. So I've been goal focused. And I think being goal focused has been one of the reasons for failing in certain goals. Whereas now I'm like, I'll give you an example. So with my snooker, I'm a a massive snooker fan and I play snooker a lot. And it's one of those things with me. um, I'm, I'm a pain in my own ass. And the reason I'm a pain in is my Is it the snooker cue? Is that one of the kings? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I like to see how many balls I can fit out my anus before I burst. <laughs> Maybe we're dusting it off, oh, not with Christ. the blue, but with the brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Lord. Um, so, um, Looking good in tra- that waistcoat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit bulgy, but um, I lost my train of thought now. Um, um, you love snooker. Yeah, so... And and with the things I enjoy, I think for me personally, a natural part of that is is wanting to improve. Like I like that process when I start to improve. That's part of the joy for me. But last year and for a while, I was so focused on the goals. Like I want to improve in this way. I want to get to this goal. I want to improve my cue ball control. I want to improve my shot power. That's kind of, it's too, it's non-specific. And the issue with that is it's like, what does that even look like? And I realized I need to really go back to basics and rebuild my technique mm. and build things incrementally. And I've only started... Steps. Yeah, back to focusing on those little atomic habits. And I used to be relatively regimented with my practice where I'd plan out my practice. I'd go through certain steps, follow a certain process. Let's say, for example, I do a certain shot. How many times do I get it out of 10? Use that, put it in a little spreadsheet. I know it's really geeky, but then I can track my progress and I stopped doing that. I'd do the drills, but I wouldn't really, I was just going there. And then I was getting frustrated because I wasn't really doing it properly and it wasn't getting the results. So this year I was like, right, first thing, focus on rebuilding your technique. And I've only been in four or five sessions to start this year, but already my technique has significantly improved. Significantly. Like it's better than it's ever been because I've been very specific about what I'm trying to achieve and saying, well, I know I want to get better and I want to win these leagues that I'm in, which I have no chance of at the moment. But all I've done is just say, well, that's the end goal. And this is what I talk to my clients about. I say, we know where we want to get to, but let's remember there's a whole journey to get there. And let's curate something that's going to be an enjoyable experience. And by the way, I know there are some listeners out there who do message me on the socials and they, you guys like to share a little bit about your sex life, which I appreciate. Um, But you have these like kind of fears sometimes about kinks or I'm scared to do this or that. No one's saying uh, just because I like to cut the parachute and do it, mm, yeah, balls to the wall, doesn't mean you have to. Yeah, you know, like Seb said, you could also let's say like what's like a kink that people would want to try. Well, even just I don't want to like, out anyone. Well, just so. like something that was, I guess is quite common, something like bondage, just using a bit of shibari and a bit of rope tying and. Okay, so we've just said that, and that's all quite alienating to a, a novice, isn't it? Like, yeah. But maybe just start with a handcuff. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Start with one piece of rope. 100%. And this is the thing with my clients. This is one of the things that even at the stage when they first contact me as a coach, um, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. I don't know all this kind of stuff. Because, and this is a good thing in some sense, the, the world of sex and sexuality is very vast. 
It's a big ocean with a lot in it. So when you look at the bigger picture and you see that there's so many possibilities, that's very overwhelming. Even for me as a practitioner, when I think about all the things I want to learn, and it's one of the things that is, I think, a negative side of being curious and, and being a little bit autodidactic and wanting to learn all the time. I'm like, I want to learn this, I want to learn this, I want to learn this. And I'm kind of have this massive picture of all these things and it just gets too much. And it's like, you can't do all of that at once. So it, it's, it's choose something. If you're interested in kink, inquire into that. What is it about the kink that you find interesting? Well, I'm interested in, I like a little bit of the rope tying. Start off small, choose a couple of basic knots, some of the foundations and, and kind of see what you can learn, um, mm. you know, and, and just kind of build up. Yeah, or even if you want to like, um, I'm sure there's many women who come to you who say, I can't orgasm. I want you to help me orgasm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that's a perfect example yeah. because that's a, go a specifically a goal thing. Yeah, the orgasm being a goal. So that's when it's like you know you have a little conversation with them and get some sense of what their experience with sex has been, and then you might find from a conversation. Well, actually, one of the things that isn't helping is your experience of sex. The way you're having sex doesn't suit you. Um, you know, I'll give you an example of somebody that I coached where she was saying to me. Oh, this isn't related to orgasm, but actually it's, it's just related to her perception and her experience of sex. So she, her partner, her former partner, she was like, she was basically had been sexually assaulted. She was raped, basically. Um, and her experience that she had, uh, that wasn't her partner. It was outside of her relationship. But then whenever she would have sex with her partner, she said she would just go into a freeze response. She just yeah. fully froze. And what was interesting is it came to realize that the kind of sex that she was having with her partner was really quick, really rushed, orgasm focused, was perhaps too indicative or too r relatable to the traumatic experience that she had. It was far too quick for yeah. her. So she needed an experience that was really about slowing down and not being goal focused, not being orgasm focused and not being, well, about just Let's her partner. Let's get it over and done yeah. with, yeah. And in just doing that and, and having that conversation, understanding the boundaries, and me proactively trying to understand her triggers and creating an environment that's going to be slow paced it completely just in one encounter changed her experience of sex because she realized shit this is like nothing to do with me this is not like my thing where i'm unable to have sex or like you know all of these negative things that come up where she thinks that this is related to who i am and how i'm able to have sex and i'm not very good at this that and the other it's not that it's because actually what's happening is you're not having the kind of sex that's suitable for you well, I had a bit of a sexual mental breakdown in lockdown. I always was able to orgasm from like my late teens, you know? Um, and then I probably got to like age, how old was I at the time? Probably around about 21, 22. And just because of lockdown, I just didn't masturbate for a long, long time. And I know I orgasmed last time because the last guy I had sex with before lockdown, it was very good. I had a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> he left the window open. <laughs> he was a South African. He was a South African Dutch rugby player. He was six foot four, and he was a prop. So my rugby friends know what that is. And he was like a fucking animal, like literally. <laughs> it was like a fucking hose. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. Um. Anyway. After that, I don't know what happened and I still have trouble with today. I think stripping did actually mentally not affect me because I'm still able to do it. But like it's definitely changed my sexual attitude and temperature mm. um, because I couldn't like it felt too intense before I orgasmed. 
after lockdown whenever I tried. And even like sometimes I found myself doing it and before it, I cry mm. before I orgasm. And that's actually quite common mm. to cry before you orgasm sometimes. Um, and I was like, well, I do have trauma, but I could do it before. So I don't think that is key to it. But even now I'm on my own journey of like reconnecting with myself and thinking, well, what I liked in the past isn't what I like now. And I'm a different person and I like different sexual things now. And I've had a massive experience of like having to emotionally, not physically, but like emotionally whore myself out to people. So orgasming is going to be a bit different. Mm. So I need to go on my journey and understand. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I need to hire an escort. Yeah, or an intimacy coach. <laughs> yeah, and whatever format that that looks like, trying to get an understanding of um, either trying to explore yourself or find someone who can help you explore what it is that you you need. What 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 do you need? You know, like in terms of your environment, your setup, what's going to make the experience, you know, really good for you and conducive to you kind of going on that process of evolution. I d- I don't know. It's it's not an everyday problem. It's just a sometimes problem. So I think mm. it's just. I actually think once I'm out of dancing, probably one day I I will be more happier mm. and stuff because I just like, if someone just finds me sexy visually, it doesn't get me off. Like it's, yeah. this is where, yeah. like if you can get inside of my head, then that's probably more interesting for me. I just think the main thing is like, you need to backtrack and work out if you have like a problem or a sexual desire, how, okay, there's a problem, acknowledge, how can I change it? Mm. The steps to change it and then just work from there and be gentle with yourself. Yeah, that's the right word. That's what I was going to say as well about self-compassion. Um, yeah. You know, that's one of the most important tools you can have because you can. it's so easy to beat yourself up. And, you know, I've, I've, as I say, when I was playing snooker and I was, wasn't getting progressing on my practice, I just get so frustrated with myself. Mm. But it's kind of like, well... And one of the things I said to myself starting this year, just in terms of self-compassion, just remember that I know that I'm rebuilding my technique from scratch. Yeah. I know I'm going to make loads of mistakes. And it's kind of a weird goal. I've <laughs> a weird goal of trying to get the change the way I'm getting it wrong, like be, become consistent. So I'm doing the if, if it's certain things are being done wrong it's consistent do you know what i mean yeah I'm making the same mistakes rather than keep trying to change everything and not really knowing what's going wrong because then i can start to i can really highlight what the issue is and work on it it's all data it's all incremental yeah exactly get get all of that data yeah but women are not necessarily ugh, that sounds really bad i was gonna say like women are more feeling led and men are more there's that saying of Men are more interested by things and women are more interested by people on a whole. Yeah. And like sometimes when it comes to sexual problems, I'm just like, I just want to feel like it's better rather than doing the incremental change. But yeah. you need to do the incremental change. Yeah. So something I was going to ask you about was we mentioned body image earlier with escorting and that kind of competitive nature because we're based in London. Do you ever feel like a pressure to like keep up with a certain look in escorting? Or do you feel very comfortable with who you are, what you're offering to your client? Leave it open-ended. Yeah, 100% the latter. I think the one of the important things when I started working as an escort, um, one of the, the mantras, I suppose, that I set myself was, you know, just kind of be myself as much as possible and present myself as authentically as possible. Mm. And because I just figured that people will then contact me with an interest in, in who I am rather than 
it's one thing role playing when you meet someone you know in terms of in the bedroom it's another thing trying to put on a whole front and whole whole persona to try and attract certain people i didn't have an interest in doing that and i think that being able to present myself the way that i am you know i'm not super ripped I've, you might say I've got a dad bod. <laughs> maybe. No, I've seen dad bods. <laughs> well, all right. You're maybe I haven't shame. got one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, nice photos of myself, present myself, my personality, and who I am, and people will connect with me on that basis. So there's no reason to try and shape myself to, you know, be uh, super muscly or, you know, not just physically shape myself, but try and mold myself to, to look a certain way. Well, the customer will always want different things. Well, that's it. This is one of the things I said to one of my friends who's a painter. Um, you know, his art's really, really good. And, you know, some of the criticisms that criticism he gets from people criticism. is... Criticism. Criticism. <laughs> criticism. I'm turning to Elmer Fudd there a little bit. Uh, some of the criticism... You sounded like Bane out of Batman. Some of the criticism he gets from people that he doesn't know. And, and, and you know, we all take on other people's shit, right? People mm. criticise us about various things. Like I was saying about the sun thing. Mm. When I looked at those... Um, comments i just they impacted me a little never bit never look at the sun or the I daily never, mail comments never write for it either by the way <laughs> <laughs> but my point was that you look at that and you think oh it makes you it knocks you a little bit but you know the thing that i said to my friend who's an artist there's no point in pinning your self-worth on other people's of other people's opinions you have to work from a place of authenticity because their opinions are moving goalposts and also, if you're going to pin your self-worth and your beliefs in yourself on somebody else, who are you going to choose? Because they've got so many different opinions. Some people like it, some people don't. And it, it, we kind of, as humans, have this inclination to, to almost lean in more to the negative and be like, oh, but why don't people like it this way? It's like, but what all the people that do, what about you and how you felt when you created whatever it is you created? That's where you start from. And anybody's going to connect to it is going to connect to it because there's an aspect of your authentic self in there that they relate to. They relate to the real genuine work. That's all that matters. Well, when I looked at your pictures online, because, yeah. you know, I had to find you from somewhere, I, when I looked at through the profile... You were disappointed? No, 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 no. <laughs> If I looked at your profile, obviously, like, it's got a bit of moodiness and, like, it's, it's, it's sexy. Thank well you. done. <laughs> yeah, you saved yourself then. But it's... <laughs> if I was to put it on a dating app, it would look more well done than a normal profile. But I wouldn't be able to go, that's an escort. Mm, Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, We have a stereotype of what that looks like. And to be honest, in my mind, I was thinking just the body shot and... Mm just kind of more showy offy but yours is yeah. more kind of not conservative but more tasteful yeah more je ne sais quoi oh thank you that's yeah. a good way to put it and again you know there's no point in me getting my one pack out nobody wants to see that uh. <laughs> i mean have you met other escorts where it's like alejandro with the eight pack and the oil and stuff no i've 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 only spoken to a couple of escorts here and there there's a, there's a guy uh, an italian guy i know and there's another guy um a dutch guy who's no longer escorting but they they don't fit into that mold either yeah um and i think that for those guys i feel like if i was just like i wanted to make a quick buck on the side and i was super muscly just the body shot no head shot i can understand that that would be probably ideal for that that would be great i think that would turn me off yeah but i mean there's obviously people who hire people like that and, and it might be a fantasy thing just get another big muscly guy involved someone who's dominant or whatever it might be as an example i think the gays would prefer that more than the women <laughs> the gays you know, like a band <laughs> no but they i, I do like because men are visual just because the when i have sex with a man doesn't mean that 
that principle doesn't still apply. Yeah. And I must admit that a lot, I would say most of the women I've spoken to where that's been a topic of discussion have said they don't find that attractive. Some of them find it intimidating even. Well, I will be real why I find it intimidating is if a man has an overdone six or eight pack, they're probably not enjoying their life that much in terms of like food and and leisure. They have a strict routine Mm. and I'm not there and I'm not prepared to put up with that or do that commitment so it's an insecurity actually yeah of mine yeah 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 that's fair that's yeah. fair um but some people are naturally just more built and some people aren't and you know yeah it's the world I, I mean it'd be great if we were all naturally built like that but then the competition would be even more difficult isn't it but that's also the other thing you know if you're going to create yourself to fit a specific mold that you perceive to be the ideal example of what an escort is supposed to be you're competing with a lot of other people. Like you go on that website and there's a lot of guys who have got their shirt off and got their chest out and, you know, they've got great bodies, but there's loads of people who with those photos. Well, mm. but it's more for me, it's more the fact that you're competing in, an, in a saturated market. Mm. The best thing you can possibly do is just be present yourself and your authentic self because people will want to know. And I know that people would say, oh, I don't really want to connect that well with clients. That's fine. It's not about saying that, but they still want to know who they're meeting. Like it's just a profile talking about yourself a little bit and who you are and you want to present yourself as someone they could have a conversation with, I think, at least. Physical preferences are a weird one. Mm. Like, um, I always think that you have to have still, it sounds like a bit weird to say it for like humans who work in the sex industry. You have to have a USP yeah. and you have to have it within you and you have to have it externally. Mm. Now, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but for example, I have very large breasts. So that's what I lead with externally in a strip club. Yeah. But once that's... Well, you have to. You don't really have a choice. <laughs> They're on the front. Well, obviously, <laughs> I, I'm not going to hide them there. It's not have the... you ever thought about walking backwards into work from now on? No, because, because my ass Save is it. sensational too. So... <laughs> It's going to say an element of surprise. We have lots of software engineers who come in because apparently they love the strip club. And you know the term front stack and back stack of a website. Yeah. So the front end and the back end. And I say... Hey boys, I have front stack and back stack. <laughs> <laughs> I can play with your pythons. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you have to have something physically in terms of in terms of attraction from a stripper and an escort. I'll say my bit, and then you can obviously say your bit. In terms of just attracting someone, you have to have something physically that's going to bring you in, like eye catching, because that's the first thing that you need to draw attention to yourself and then you have to have something inside that's going to like affirm that attraction and point someone more in the direction of intrigue that's mm. my take on it yeah so something physical and something internal well yeah i think so because it's all good me saying that it's about authenticity mm. they will look at lots of different profiles mm. and but at the same time my photo is the first part they don't read the profile then see the photo the yeah. photo is how they get to the profile so they obviously look at that, think that I'm attractive and, and look at that and then read the profile and decide, okay, this is someone I want to get in touch with. Mm. Um, so I think, it, yeah, it is a combination of both. And then we get onto your sexual CV if they've gone on the website. <laughs> I haven't got that on there. Okay. <laughs> but there's like clear things you're into and you're not into. Like, for example, when I was researching dominatrixes, their customer are looking for a specific niche kink. So they have a list of all the kinks and the things yes, they're into and not. Yes, I see. Yeah, yeah. 
with you, you probably just state kind of sexually uh, what demographics they'd like in terms of gender and kind of what you focus around like massages i remember seeing massages yeah i think i think the way that i described it was i wasn't presenting it as a specific service but i mm. talk about myself and how that relates to me yeah and not in a way again it's, it's not, not about a me checklist. boasting yeah it's basically saying you know i'm, I'm i'd love to learn i'm always exploring new things mm. and developing martial arts skills has been something that yeah you know these things that contribute to what i can offer um, yeah. but also relative to to me and how they relate to me and a sexual CV doesn't mean like, oh, I do anal and I'm a finger blaster and da 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 Yeah. It can be like, I'm a good listener and I'm patient. Yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's important in some aspect to focus on, I guess you could call those the soft skills. Yeah. Because it's like, this is the first port of call. It's like, if we're going to sit down and have a conversation that's prospectively going to lead to intimacy, you, you want to feel like you can have a conversation with me and you're going to feel safe and all of the other stuff that's important first rather than me just knocking on the door, walking in, doing my thing and then going home. And then You're obviously very emotionally satisfied by the kind of intimacy coaching and kind of that mental plate we were speaking about spinning earlier. Mm. And that's what gets you into it. But we're humans, mm -hmm. we all like sex. When it turns into sex, just out of free will, is that something that, you're just kind of happy about having in the job yeah what do you mean like is it like it's, it's a perk yeah yeah well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> don't get me wrong it's not like a part of the job where i'm like oh christ i've got to do this again bloody oh, hell God. Um, here we go <laughs> yeah gotta go through that um yeah it's it's uh yeah it's absolutely a perk um i mean one of the things is if you connect really really well with someone um you're being, not going to need a little pill it's just going to be hard being intimate with someone yeah. like this is the thing where people say you know like are they always hot the women i mean i literally had some guy say to me like when he found out i was an escort and i think the question was underpinned by his own subtle insecurity because he the way he asked oh so you know it must be really good just having kind of sex with loads of beautiful women all the time and i thought well do you really think that's what it is and also why are you asking me that yeah <laughs> what's your real question um but it's like you know it maybe sounds a bit cheesy but being able to connect with someone is significantly more important i've literally met with a playboy bunny Mm -hmm. who you would consider aesthetically to be, well, you know, stunning, amazing. But we just didn't hit it off. We just didn't hit it off. And it makes it impossible for me because it's like, well... No honey for the bunny. Well, like, sexual attraction is so deeper than, you know, a physical attraction. It's like, if I can connect with someone, if I can connect with someone on an intellectual level and I feel like they're, we really just understand each other and she's funny she might be funny that's like yeah i'm going to be more relaxed i'm going to open up more and this kind of thing and um this is why building a rapport is important because i want to establish some aspect of that i wanted to you know build a bit of groundwork and get some sense of who i'm meeting if you just don't have no, any idea and it's like meet me in two hours yeah right you go and meet them and it's just like i know nothing about this person it just becomes like one of the dates the kinds of dates that i would have on tinder where it's swipe left swipe right and i remember going on a date before where i got there and I was confused. I was like, I couldn't remember who I was meeting. That's terrible. That's terrible, isn't it? it, it that is bad. And yeah, also, but names are really hard. To well, not not the name, but I, I, it, it was more the fact that when I met with her and I was chatting with her, I realized I knew nothing about her. And I thought, well, if, if I've met, spoken to her, I don't recognize her from her photos. So I couldn't quite remember which person I was meeting. That is terrible. So yeah. you don't want a situation where you're like, I don't know who this person is. I haven't seen a photo of them, any of this stuff. Um, you know, all, I have no information. 
because then it's like, well, what am I getting myself into? Bear in mind as well, like if I've chosen to do this and it's fully my own choosing, which it is, why would I put myself in a situation to do things I don't want to do? How often do you go on a normal date? Like not on the book, so not professional. Like in my personal life? Yeah, just dating. Not very often. It's not something I... I, again for me it's always been like with a relationship situation where it's like something happens it happens it, it evolves organically and you know i've been on a, a couple of dates this year um and i've just not i've just not really been that interested that's put, like i go out and i do something in my personal life i go to a i think i went to a cocktail making class mm. um which was great I really enjoyed that and i met i met a girl there and um, no casual sex no like one night no no and again some of these things could manifest and material materialize in a way um but i just i'm not pursuing anything well your two observations from that you're already being fed in terms of like your psychosexual self if yes. through your work yeah and number two in terms of that connection and mm. just you know the more wholesome bit of a relationship to an average person because this is your life and you live and breathe it of how to connect with people you're miles ahead of they're not going to be able to like an average joe schmo if i'm putting myself in a normal man's perspective from my perspective they're not going to know about like emotional intelligence all the time or listening or active listening because we take those skills for granted but mm. they're skills and not everyone i think everyone has them but they don't have them to the highest level and I think when you do this job and you have a certain sophistication and understanding of connecting with someone, Mm. you almost need someone to be on par with that. And not everyone is an escort and not everyone can understand that. I I think you can say you have a very sophisticated emotional um, means of connecting with people. Well, I have a heightened um, emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would would never say that's fair. Yeah. And you don't have to feel arrogant arrogant about saying that because no, it's a skill that's it's developed a skill, yeah 100 yeah, percent, it is yeah yeah i i agree i i do i, I think i do get what you're saying where it's kind of like when you have that expanded awareness of anything yeah. like you're very aware of it it's always there like when you meet someone you kind of like when i talk about the stuff i talked about my parents the stuff that gets mm. in their way and how that presents and how that impacts our mm. relationship so then when you see that in other people you kind of have that curiosity you kind of which is great because actually one of the benefits of developing that skill is that in and of itself such as the emotional intelligence that contributes to the empathy because you're like well this person's getting frustrated and i have the awareness to acknowledge that might not be about me at all and it's probably not even who they really are there's something underneath that that's kind of that's driving that that's driving that behavior yeah and i suppose well what someone finds to be you don't find that to be as well yeah 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 <laughs> you've seen a lot in your life <laughs> yeah well i haven't i wouldn't say i've seen a lot it's more the fact that i've heard <laughs> i've heard more than i've seen i reckon um but it's like yeah when people are just kind of starting out in their sexual journey and what they would consider and i'm not i'm not to, to say that you know they have a, the wrong idea of what kinky is but you know they might just think something quite simple is just kind of trying loads of different positions or you know having sex in the living room or some somewhere that that's not you know and and that is that is that is what that is to them because their their understanding or their experience of what is normal to them or what is vanilla to them is is maybe much more you know paired back compared to mine or somebody else's i don't think i'm the most kinkiest person but i don't think i'm vanilla 
and sometimes i'll say well yeah i i want to have sex in a phone box that's one of my fantasies yeah and they're like you're so vanilla but when you're on the phone is it maybe (laughs) hello i think you've got you've got to try and find a bloody phone box first (laughs) there's not many of those around they have to find my box and men aren't good at finding the box (laughs) um stigmas obviously um female and male escorts are both going to face stigmas and they're going to face some of the same ones and then through the genders they're going to face slightly different skewed ones Mm. so for the women it's your whore you're giving away your virtue Mm. um, your body's so precious why would you give it away you're easy you'll do anything for money but then what are some of the male ones specific to that gender well so if we refer to the L classic sun <laughs> reviews, <laughs> there was people saying things like, you know, and this is the irony that made me laugh because the grammar was so bad that what he said was so ironic. He said something like uh, escorting for people who can't get proper job or something like that. So he talked like a caveman. I was like, that's a brave sentence. For a, <laughs> that's a brave sentence to say that. Um, it's things like that, like I'm stupid because that's why I choose to escort. Um, it, and it's interesting because again people are entitled to their opinions but when you see stuff like that it's like well you've obviously never met an escort you've never met someone who hires an escort and you don't know anything about it you clearly don't because mm. you know the escorts that I know they're not stupid they're intelligent and yeah it is hard to find to a job these days actually <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But also in that article, I talked about my furniture work, my design work. Okay. And I was, like, I was also doing that. So I was like, well, you've not read the article, have you? I was talking about this being a side hustle as it was at the time. Um, yeah, but the sun is not there for intellectual it's stimulation. No, it's there no, for no. entertainment. Intellectual numbing, I think. Yeah. Is <laughs> Skull numbing. So yeah, like, like stuff, that, which is, you know, the same for women as well. And I think, I think generally speaking, I, the most of the stigma is definitely around female escorting because whenever we talk about sex and sexuality and the, the stigma it is mostly women so do you think you get fluffed up a little bit more in the equation right the way that i would look at it if we look at male escorting versus female escorting i would say that in terms of how that's judged it's both about there's an attachment of value mm. the attachment of value with female escorting is that you are a whore a slut or whatever it is mm. and it's a demonstration of your value as an individual in your place in society. Of what you can keep away from people. Well, or more specifically, how that impacts your value in, in relation to a man and your worth of being in relationship with a man. Which is all based on religion. It's all bullshit is what it yeah. is. <laughs> um, and with a man, it's perhaps perceived as being cool and glorified because it's a demonstration of what is perhaps a mirror of a masculine archetype. So by being someone who gets paid to have sex with lots of women, as it's perceived, as that, you know, if we used to boil it down and that's how people perceive it for the most part, it's like, I'm an alpha. That's what it seems like. Whereas yeah. it's like, that's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. And then there may well have been a benefit and an, a, a purpose for those perceptions in our early ancestry in terms of like typical masculine and feminine roles. Um, you know, women are emotionally more emotionally oriented than men because there's a survival and evolutionary purpose for that. It's related to pair bonding and forming connections in 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 community, which is necessary for the survival of offspring. So we can look. We always look to things like other other apes and other primates, like as a, as a reference. And and um, monkeys and apes do the same thing. They have a thing called allo parenting, which is basically babysitting, where they form bonds within the female community. Um, for the purpose of looking after each other's children Mm. and there's a benefit to that and that's the purpose of them being being in that way whereas the men are just kind of like you know testosterone uh fight 
kill, yep. fuck, meat, <laughs> eat, all what? those things. You know, some things haven't changed, basically. <laughs> and that's why we go so well together. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Not to say that, you know, lesbians and, and the gays, y'all are fine, you know? Y'all are fine. Do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. But also, like, why men and women are slightly different in hormonal profiles are because they make life. And that's also a very beautiful thing. Yeah. So now I'm going to treat you a little bit like an agony aunt. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So imagine... Back to the sun again. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you some questions about spicing it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. So normal couple at home, she's a bit bored. He does the same thing. Doesn't really veer off, you know, the traditionalism of having sex. Let's say they're in their 50s. Mm. So boomers. How would you tell them to have an open conversation about sex and improving it between them? Well, that's actually the first thing. It's about the communication. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the question I would say would be, you know, how much does she or does he know about their desires and what it is that they want? Yeah. How do they see their relationship, their sexual relationship now? And what do they feel that, that could be different for it to be better? Um, and being able to have that open conversation, let's work on an assumption that they're comfortable talking about sex. Is that what you're saying? Like yeah. they, they can do that yeah. anyway. Yeah. Do it outside of the bedroom. That's primary objective number one. Don't jump straight to trying to figure out what you want. And, it, you know, it's, it's a, obviously there's an aspect of exploration in the bedroom and that's important. But get comfortable talking about sex outside of the bedroom first. Mm -hmm. Normalize conversations around sex. It's not a cringe thing. It's not like... <gasps> no, well, that's it. Because yeah. if there's an element of cringe involved, then it's, it's worth addressing that and, and just acknowledging, you know, having that conversation outside the bedroom, normalizing talking about sex... And that bit of cringe is, okay, look at that with compassion too. It's like sometimes sex can be awkward. Sometimes it can be clunky. Um, and just being able to have that open conversation about that and what your desires are and what your preferences are and just, you know, just kind of explore that um, conversationally first would definitely be the way to go. You must get asked in your line of work to maybe perform some niche things or some kinks and you might not feel comfortable with them all the time when you say yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. My partner asks me to do a certain kink or sexual act and I straight off, no, I don't really feel comfortable with. How do I tell him no, politely and kindly? And how do mm. I maybe explore that if it's something I'm willing to compromise on? Yes, that's a good question. So I guess the first thing is to establish when you've been asked this specific thing, what is it about it that makes you uncomfortable? And is there any aspects of it that you're okay with? And then, then it's about figuring out what you're willing to compromise on. Mm. So if you say, for example, I want to be, be tied up and I want to be spanked really hard, mm. you might think about that and say, well, actually, that's not what I'm... I'm not comfortable giving that. Because from that perspective, if you're being asked for your partner, you're the giver in that perspective. So I'll be the woman in this, in this relationship and say, why do you want to hurt me? Right, that's your, is that, that's your reaction. Yeah, I'm taking yeah. this position. That's your position, yeah. okay. Um, no, it's not. Am I role playing this? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so let's start from the start. You, okay, okay say, so, say, so babe, I've got this thing. Okay. Babe, I've got this. <laughs> I never say babe. I, I'm really wanting to explore a little bit of kink and I would like to tie your wrists behind your back and, you know, give you a little bit of spanking whilst we're doing doggy style. Okay. Um, thank you for coming to me with that. Like, it, <laughs> you know, 
But I just, I want to know. Imagine that actually happening in a relationship. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, <laughs> let's talk um, about that. <laughs> my concern is, where does that come from? Is it wanting to like hurt me or like uh, give me a pain or humiliate me a little bit? No, not really. I think it's, I'm not 100% sure where it comes from really. Um, but I just, I kind of like the idea of experimenting with that. I just think that it's, I don't know. Maybe there's a dominant thing in there. I don't. I don't really know. Like, but how how do you feel about that? What's your kind of reaction to to that? I'm not a hundred percent closed off, but I'm not a hundred percent in. Okay. So what could we do? Well, what, to maybe what is it that's sorry? Go on. What could what? Yeah. What were you gonna say? Well, because you were saying you're not a hundred percent closed off or a hundred percent in. Like, so really, for me. If like to explore this i'd like to have some sense of what it is if we're looking at let's say an imaginary scale of zero to definitely not 100 to definitely where can what can we do on that sliding scale to move it up more what do you think is there something that you need to know about what i want or something that can change that would make you more comfortable well i don't like it when um you ejaculate on my face it makes me feel a bit um humiliated okay that, yeah, that's so not... i just feel like this is an extension of that oh okay okay yeah. so well what if we we were just about it was just about exploring exploring the the tying up and what if let's just say it's not about the sex at all what if we just just to explore it like there's no sex involved but it's about the spanking and the tying up because i've never done that and i want to see what that's like okay well i want to make you happy so why don't we start in the middle in the middle like, so you're half tied up and then yeah, <laughs> yeah so maybe i'm half tied up or maybe you don't start doing it really aggressively because like when i watch the porn videos it looks really aggressive so maybe we start like really light yeah yeah okay is okay. that is that would you say that that's what's your reservation like what do you think was it that was kind of like giving you a little bit of resistance the porn the you porn think it's too aggressive yeah okay well then how about we do that and we have a safe word because okay. then if it's too hard you know if i'm spanking you too hard your wrists are tied behind your back. I'm spanking you too hard. Okay, so this sounds like it could be more something about trust. Well, it's, I just think if we're going to yeah. explore this, it's important that we establish what our boundaries and limits are. Because okay. obviously, if you're talking about watching the porn and you think it's a bit rough, I don't want to. I don't want to go too hard. So if I'm thinking that we have a safe word, you might say to me, oh, "That's you don't have to have a safe word, but I need to know if I'm doing it too hard." Okay. And you can just tell me to go a bit softer. Because then, if we're going to explore it, then I want to get a sense of whether it's going to work for you and like how comfortable you are and. <laughs> I see you laughing. What's going through your mind? It sounds like we have a good understanding of our boundaries. I think we should explore. I think we should explore. Okay, but you have to do the dishes. I'll do the dishes. <laughs> oh, that's a turn off for me, actually. That's a huge turn off. <laughs> well, no, like a lot of what I hear from the guys at the strip club is what turns them off are when women bargain the sex for chores. Yeah. Yeah. So when they say. That's interesting. Yeah. That's so, kind of what you were talking about earlier. You know, you were talking about earlier about the different forms of prostitution. Yeah. Like, actually, I should lend you that book, um, <gasps> Why Women Have Sex. It talks about some of these things, bargaining. Like, yeah. there's kind of a, there's a trade-off. So that's quite interesting that you kind of say that, the dishes thing. Yeah. But again, I'd feel annoyed if a man was like, hmm, I'll give you a little bit later if you, like, do the dishes. It's not nice. No. I don't think that works the other way around, does it? <laughs> I think, like, men as well, they just want to feel as a whole like wanted accepted mm. you know um but don't we all <laughs> yeah i think the thing is as well with the, with the fantasy situation um 
there are theories out there. There's, there's, uh, I haven't really dived much into this. There's a guy called Jack Moran who wrote a book called um, Erotic Mind. Mm. And he, one of his theories is the core erotic theme. And it's this idea that obviously there's a, there's a reason, an explanation, um, perhaps an, uh, earlier experiences in our life that underpin why we have the certain fantasies we have. When I say early experiences, people might instantly think of traumatic experiences or child abuse, stuff like that. It's not, it's not that. That's a misconception with stuff like BDSM. That and a lot of attraction is built in early years, I feel. Yeah, there could be some aspect of that. Um, yeah. But again, I, don't, I haven't dived greatly into that. But in a nutshell, it's, it's, it's about trying to understand what underpins your fantasies. So it's, it's, it, I think it's useful because it's important to, to not necessarily jump to thinking, well, if somebody wants to slap my bum, like and my bot bot my bot bot i said bum I've ne- i haven't said that since well ages your ass <laughs> yeah my ass <laughs> slap you on the ass um it's not necessarily an indication of them being a violent person like because people think that with bdsm that's a misconception people always think bdsm is like you've got something wrong with you and you're it's you enacting some sort of s- secret in fact you you're know, exercising like, the most amount of control and yeah um what's the word control and boundaries yeah it's actually one of the one of the things i because you're speaking about what we're gonna do yeah Yeah. i think one of the things that's really useful for bdsm is how people learn about boundaries because you have to come up with establish what your boundaries are establish if you're doing you know a a dom and sub situation who's in who's the dom and who's the sub what your limits are all of the rules have to be established because it's necessary for safety but it's also a really good place to practice those skills Mm. you know the skills that we talked about even just in the in the bondage Mm. where it's like well we need to know i need to know what your limit is because if you're going to explore this with me i don't want to i'm not going to replicate what you've seen in porn because i don't want to do that anyway but if that's too intense i want to know what your limit is and what's okay and we explore that and have an understanding that you will communicate with me if it's too much well i think as well it's important to do what you just said like try these more exploratory things even if it's bdsm or something like that because then you'll be able to vocalize yourself more and that will improve what we call the classic sex yeah Um, but also these skills are transferable i always talk about how your sex life and your everyday life is inextricably linked the skills you learn in one is going to impact the other and and the experiences you have in one is going to impact the other Mm. so obviously if you're learning if you're doing bdsm and you're developing all those skills that's a great thing for connection. Like, and research shows that BDSM is a really good way to deepen connection because of all those skills that you develop, you know, and, and, and you, can, you can understand why, because if you're in that relationship and together you're proactively creating this plan of an experience mm. together with each other's needs and limits in mind, what a beautiful thing for a relationship that is. There's nothing more sexy than a vocal person, I yeah. think. Not, a, not um, like a dictator, but someone who knows their own mind, yeah. knows what they want, I think. Yeah. And as well, when I see women, obviously, actually, I'm not into women, but when I see women, not even in a sexual capacity, but like in their work or in their life, really kind of take full autonomy over knowing what they want. I think that's such, no, it is a really impressive thing because you have to work such a hard place to get there because as a young woman, you're not taught to be like that sometimes yeah i mean my childhood was different i was kind of like n- not encouraged but not not encouraged like just be as you are and i just grew up to be the way i am yeah but with some women it's like oh, don't do that because it's it's too gauche it's too gauche to ask for what you want or yeah you know real women don't act like that you should be a bit more submissive yeah and asking for what you want is a skill yeah it's a skill it's one of the things that it's ballsy <coughs> well it is ballsy and it's uh there's so much tied up into it and i think that one of the pe- reasons people I mean, there's many reasons people don't ask for what they want 
partly they're worried about offending like they might ask for something that's not allowed and that's going to be offensive also the f- being rejected yeah there's so many reasons and you know many people have that anyway and reasons um, you might never know why 100 percent, yeah um and i feel so ballsy when i go to chipotle and i ask for extra chicken yeah um, on top of what i've already got because obviously i'm not paying for the extra chicken but i'm like i'm gonna try it i'm gonna ask for something yeah why today. not 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. so it is it is a skill and it's actually why it's one of the skills that with some of my coaching clients i teach them to develop that skill of asking for what they want because it's also about congruence when I talk about congruence, talk about, well, and this is one of the things I always talk about in consent, why, why consent is not just about yes and no. Mm. It's about how you feel. It's an embodied experience because you could probably think of an experience where you've said yes, where you felt inside of yourself, not really, I don't want to do that, but you've gone along with it or the same the other way around. So it's about developing that awareness, really. True consent is about really having that self-awareness, like how do I feel in my body when this thing comes up? And do I really want to do it? You think about your impulses. When you do something impulsively, you might actually feel inside of you, I don't want to do it. Like when I'm triggered into anxiety or, Mm. for example, it might lead me to like, oh, I'm anxious, I'm going to have a biscuit. That's not, I don't really want a biscuit, but it's, it's really trying to address the anxiety. So it's not really what I actually want. It's just fight or flight as well. Yeah, exactly. So these, these kind of anxiety mechanisms. So that's why I always talk about consent as being embodied. It's not just about yes and no agreement. Because of course, also in that, in, that, in that vein, as a woman, and this is more common with women, I think, you could say yes to things that you don't really want, but you're doing it to, uh, to, feel, you know, to feel safe. Or if you're in a relationship that's abusive, it might be that saying yes is safer than saying no, but it's not what you want. Mm. You go along with it for your own protection. And that actually has a latent effect or it has a continued effect. So if you then get out of a relationship where that's a situation, like some of the women that I coach that still have that, it's really hard to ask for what they want because they've been in abusive relationships in some format of or had some form of rela- relationship with parents or whatever it is that's meant they felt like what they want doesn't matter mm. so that it becomes a skill to learn you it's matter. like starting from yeah it's like starting from scratch well it's weird you've just reminded me of like consent of is obviously very important sexually and you should be able to even if someone looks uncomfortable and says yes that's a no mm. you know but yeah. in the strip club, yeah. when we're trying to get dances and we sometimes get moochers who just watch the stage and they just want a free show and they don't want to buy dances and we're independent contractors. So we get paid to dance separately in a VIP room and we have a house fee to work off. So sometimes we reverse psychology and we use the guilt trip of the guy doesn't really want to like pay for a dance. But then you kind of say, well, I know you're not that guy who just watched the stage and like would let the girls dance for free. Like, I know you're not that guy. And you just kind of like say, (laughs) oh, well, you know, we've had such a nice time together, just like sitting here, having our drinks, watching the stage. And I I just, I know you treat me well. I, 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 you know, (laughs) use that really a manipulative, shrewd way of reverse psychologying them. But then I don't feel bad about that. I don't feel like I'm violating a consent yeah. boundary. They're violating. That's obviously the exact opposite to how I operate. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the antithesis of like, which is fine. It's not a judgment on you. Well, but you like, have walked I want to have my- that awareness where like, especially if I'm teaching them to ask for what they want yeah. and we're yeah. having an experience and it's kind of like, <laughs> I can see in their face, they're kind of like, when I say having an experience, I mean like, let's say I'm, we're, we're practicing asking for what you yeah. want. And I can see in their face, they're kind of going along with something. And it's like, I have to have that presence to be like, okay really think about how you're feeling and, and give you an opportunity to really reflect on that. Is this really what 
what you want it could be just a massage where we're practicing mm. different massage techniques and it's purely for the purpose of her practicing asking for what you want so even in that context of being like oh can you rub my shoulders sometimes they have really struggle it's like that's still really difficult so if you want something emotionally satisfying and enlightening and can open you up to something go for seb's route if you're looking for something purely transactional go for my route yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's not like everybody who comes to me walks away like they've, you know, been on some sort of health retreat. It's not like that. It's it's different strokes for different folks and people will get different things out of it. And obviously, obviously most of my clients are actually repeats and regulars, but mm. I obviously have a good selection of them that are like, selection is not really the right word, but <laughs> I do have a good uh, amount that are just one-offs. You might be traveling or whatever it might be. And, you know, again, it's, it's like I said earlier about the, the different kinds of connection. You can have that brief, fleeting, really awesome connection with someone that's short-lived and then you go on with your lives. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's great. Isn't it weird how it's so different? But we do the... We don't do the same thing, but like we're like cousins. Well, like you're the evil devil and I'm like the... <laughs> I'm calling myself an angel here, but... <laughs> we're like cousins, so we belong in the same or community. evil twins. Yeah, you're, you're, there's like one evil twin. I'm calling you the evil one, by the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's so walk, mean. That's so mean. Maybe if, not not the best analogy, but if you walk into a strip club, what do you want me to do? Give you money? No. I'd love that. I'm I'd go to more strip clubs if that was. You'd pick up a lot of clients, yeah. actually. Yeah, fifty pounds to give. You get fifty pounds on your way in. No, but like a lot of um, girls will refer, because obviously it's predominantly men, they'll refer girls who they know who are escorts. Right. If they're looking for something more. And then I think they take a commission for mm. the referral. Bloody hell. Go to Magic Mike. Go to Magic Mike, yeah. <laughs> what, the that show? Was it, was yeah. it, just, isn't it a theatre production? Is it's that the Hippodrome at the moment? Yeah, but I don't think that's the same scenario, is it? It's like watching theatre. You know, like going to cabaret and hanging around. Oh, you like the sexy show, didn't you? Do you want another sexy show? <laughs> That's what girls do. <laughs> do, they, do, they do. That, that, Though it is in Soho, <laughs> so maybe, yeah, maybe I'll be all right down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you want another sexy show? Yeah, that's just the start. There's more to come. Okay, all right. Well, we are nearing the end. <laughs> well, we're going to land on a little bit of a crude question <laughs> to finish up with. <laughs> And we can plug everything in after um, the butt plugs later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm joking, guys. Um, XL butt plugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, does penis size matter? My penis or hers? <laughs> <laughs> in your Both. job. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny because that kind of comes up. That came up on the... The, do, uh, the documentary I did in Paris, actually, that came up on there. Does it matter or not? No, I don't think it does. <laughs> well, it doesn't. I mean, I'm, I've got a decent size. I won't tell you how big it is. It's got a decent size. It's bigger than average. Um, that's more information than What's you probably average? <laughs> I think average is something like five inches or something, isn't it? Okay. Somewhere around Yeah, but that. it's easy for you to say that when you're bigger than average. You can say, well, it doesn't matter. Well, I think that average is, what is it, an inch? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I uh-huh. think it's uh, genuinely, I think it's five inches. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, not everybody's out there looking for monster Adonis, massive, giant, eight inch, nine inch cock. No, I guess it's, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it really depends what you're looking for. I don't think there's been many situations where I've actually been asked the size of my cock. What's it's been like? very <laughs> That's rare. That's such like a boy question. Well, it is a boy question, isn't What's it? the size of your cock? Yeah. 
<laughs> some, I think I'd say the times that it's happened is when I've met with couples and yeah. they've been like, part of it is that you have to be bigger than me. So it's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I tell them and it's, you know, it's all good. Um, so that's when it's normally asked. Generally, women don't ask for that. And it's actually, this is one of the things as well. One of my things for filtering out, you know, if, if it's a guy messaging me pretending to be a woman or pretending to be a couple, mm. you know, there's signs that are, that are quite clear. If, if they ask for dick pics quite often, I'm like, mm, okay, approach with caution. This might be a, might be a guy just pretending to be a mm. woman. Um, and, you know, that can be one of the telltale signs. So actually, that's another thing I would say that if you're going to be someone who takes bank transfers, explicit images, I only send once a deposit has been paid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Would you ever do an OF? No F. OF, only for. No, is that yeah. what that is? I thought, oh, that's become its own thing. It's be called, yeah. become OF now. Um, no, I don't. I, I, I considered it, but like, I don't know what I would do on there. I don't not know even graphic, do. but just lifestyle. Maybe women are very. Um, they like the full picture. Yeah, they like the experience. There's a reason why women use Instagram more and men use Twitter more. Right, like, it's because they like that visual experience. So maybe that's something to think. So about. women use Twi- Instagram more. Yeah. Well, that's good for me then. And it? Pinterest. Right. But you can kind of see that. Like, yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, I'm not. Um, this documentary I did. It's called Escort Boys, and it's only out in Amazon France. Um, okay. You know, the, the I talk about my intimacy and sexuality work and my brand Pleasure Map, and working as an escort and the the, dif- the differences between those. Um, yeah. Don't cross your own boundaries just because there's some money for it. <laughs> there, you've had it. Um, what size penis you should have if you're going to be an asshole. I just said that because it sounds really good on the clips. Yeah. So I needed okay. something spicy to bring them in. Yeah. So that's why I planned Ouch, that. don't, bloody, don't stick that all the way up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, it's blood, it's blood. <laughs> I'm going to clip that to after the break and they're going to think, what were they up to? <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Sebastian would you like to tell the audience where they can find you if they're a little bit more interested yeah so if you're um well considering either escorting or my coaching work um i can be found on the male escort agency or gentleman for hire um and as an intimacy and sexuality coach you can find me uh, under my brand pleasure map at pleasuremap.co.uk and on instagram yep just at pleasure map Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sexonomic. Like always, if you want to follow our social journeys, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or any of the other good socials that are in the bio. I hope you really enjoyed this experience and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.